Coming up in episode 21, we talk about lots of stuff in the news. We're talking about affordable housing, new stuff in the metaverse, breaking records again. And we go over our time management for our weekly schedules and daily schedules. Check us out wherever you listen to our podcast. All right, we're back. Welcome to Master Keys Podcast. Episode 21. Episode 21. And look at this. Fancy new digs. New studio. Who this? We leveled We're up. Good. Uh, we've upgraded our, our life. We've upgraded our position in the world, literally and figuratively. We're, we're high above Halifax Harbor here. I don't know if this will be blown out in the images, or do they see this typically? Do they see the lovely view in the background a little bit? A little bit. Yeah. We're here at downtown Halifax. B&B studio. Yeah, that's right. We're right feeling good water. about it. So um, hopefully we get a little better lighting and our quality <laughs> steps up a little bit. Yeah, we got some feedback that we need to crank up the quality. So we took that to heart and we made the change. So hopefully yeah. the audio and the video are a little bit higher up and everyone can enjoy it yeah. a little bit more. Our previous video looked like a CBC telenovela. Yeah. <laughs> like dimly lit. It was good for my, my skin tone, but otherwise... It was, was a little bit overcast, but here yeah. we are, Neil. What's going on, man? Not too much. I uh, I woke up to some good news. Not actually. Yep. Break it, it down. It's uh, the 19 unit that I have mentioned a proper 35 times yep. and been super excited about. That's supposed to be closing next week. Uh, hopefully still closing next week, but I got the news like first thing this morning that the financing is dragging along. I've signed all the documents. It's been approved for literally yeah. like six weeks. And this morning they're like, yeah, about funding on Monday. And I'm like, what do you mean about funding on Monday? And they're like, well, I feel like this is Groundhog Day level stuff because we've been talking about this probably in every second episode. But it's legitimate. This is what happens with these commercial deals all the time. My deal that was supposed to close on the 14th and then was supposed to close on the 26th. Here it is the second and we're closing today. Which Congrats. is exciting. Yeah, closing the refi today and then closing the actual deal tomorrow. But that money is in the trust account with the lawyer. So that is a done deal. Um, so that includes the two refis on the 15 unit and the 12 unit that cleared just over a million dollars, uh, of which about 350 just goes right to the, the closing of this new property. And then I'll have the balance 650, which will go to. The uh, well, first of all, the renovation of the eight unit, but then also the big project on Portland Street, the uh, the sixty unit build. You did thirty five percent down on that. Uh, yes, not by choosing. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. By like fundamental. You can, yeah, yeah. You can run the numbers all you want. You can get the appraisal to support the value, but then the bank says, "But no one here pays any rent of any <laughs> significance, so we're not going to loan you seventy five twenty five, right?" Like, yeah. They only felt comfortable sixty five percent loan to value, so I had to put thirty five percent down on it. But like we were talking about before we started, there's some advantages to that. Like I just look at that as money that's I'm going to get later and it's going to be a pleasant surprise, right? So I have to put an extra hundred grand down on it. And it's like, well, that sucks in the moment. But once I'm completed the project and once I'm doing the refi on that, I'm going to get all that back. True. Right. So it's kind of forced savings. It's not lost. It's not lost. It's yeah, not extra cost, but it's just in the moment you do have to put the extra cash down. Yeah. Would I rather the liquidity now? Absolutely. Um, and it's very fortunate that this is a situation that I'm paying, you know, coming up with a down payment through a refinance of two other properties. Because if I was just trying to come out of pocket for this or or didn't have these refis lined up. Could be catastrophic. Oh, yeah. The difference between $250,000 down and $350,000 down. 50% be, more. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a problem. But um, 
that is getting across the finish line, albeit two weeks late, but yours that was two weeks <laughs> late and two weeks late. Now it's what, what are they telling you? Well, so my original date was this coming Monday. Oh, okay. I mean, we well, had an original date like three months ago, but I was like, there's no chance <laughs> that that's happening. The original, original, the original, date. original date. So we did one extension to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that when I firmed up on the deal and then this one, like I was feeling really good about it. Like these guys came with an awesome offering. I thought it was all good to go. Sign the documents up. Uh, it, it is a refi to buy. Same mm-hmm. sort of thing. We're yep. pulling out around a million bucks, throwing it all back down on the next one. Um, but then, like this last week, I was like, "Man, things have gotten real quiet." Like, I got a call from the bank like like uh, two weeks conventional ago. Lender or uh, conventional lender? Conventional money? Yeah, it is conventional money. It's seventy five percent. It's like a reasonable rate. Um, they're a new group out of Toronto that hasn't oh, yeah, done yeah, a ton yeah, of lending yeah. here. Um, it's actually, I think, like a, a fund more so than a bank. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, everything was looking great. The bank called me last week and they said, hey, we're just have this bank calling to do a credit check or a bank verification check on your banking. And I was like, oh, sweet. Like, that must be like a final step. Yeah. They're calling to actually check my bank accounts uh, and then toss everything to my lawyer. Bada boom, bada bing. Come to find out, I guess that's not the final step. Um, and they're blaming on their end on lawyers. I was going to say, I don't know what your delay was, but they're saying, I think Stuart McAlvey's representing them. Right. And they're like, yeah, like they're still looking at all the stuff and they want two weeks to look at the documents and then mm. it's Christmas. So like realistically it'd be like the first, second week of January. And I'm like, Oh damn. I'm like, nah, that's, that's a no, no okay. deal. Okay. I mean, the lawyers kind of actually decided <coughs> to move mine from the 26th to the 3rd. Um, and they said it was, and I said, listen, I don't care when it closes, but I don't know if the seller is going to be okay with that move yeah. from the 26th to the 3rd. We talked before about how terrible it is to close on at the end of the month for collecting rents and so forth. Uh, but it's actually the seller's lawyer, which is like, no, we want to close on the 3rd of December. We'll collect all the rents and we'll, um, convey Disperse. them to you, which is perfectly fine by me. Um, so, you know, and the end of months are really tricky and these con- commercial mortgage documents are a little bit more involved. And then you throw in a couple refis. There's a lot of adjustments. A couple overpriced lawyers. Yeah. I mean, like I do I do get the delay, especially end of month and, and this time of year. But man, to kick it down the road to a full calendar month, even even it's, over the holidays. It's due, man, hol- it's due no, to holidays, I think. But I don't know, man. I know. But in general, I'm not happy. And so we're actually gonna switch lenders. What? So skirt, last minute change. They <laughs> how's that gonna another, make things quicker? Well, so another lender that I do a lot of business with has stepped up to the plate in like one day, <clears throat> provided me just copied the discussion paper, and they said if you sign this today, we can have it funded in two weeks. Same, same everything. Same, same, same rate. Uh, slightly more, slightly yeah, more. Yeah. Like I mean by like point two percent, not not going from three and a half percent to twelve percent like I have in the past. Hmm. Like going from three and a half to like three seven. Um, and That's same still thing. A good rate. When twelve months. I'm doing a 24 month just because yeah, yeah. of how everything's been. And I have I've still have that strong feeling that, yeah, great renovations are coming back and I'll be able to make some moves as I need to. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to get frozen up and there'll be some issues with fixed terms. So we're doing a 24 month. Yeah, I, I was trying to decide on my refis what to do because I agree with you. I, I think we're kind of reaching the 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 top end of the rents. Yeah. Um. So I don't think there's going to be, and these are completed buildings, so I don't think I'm going to look at, Another massive lift in two years. No. So I went with a three-year. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a good compromise with low rate and some security. But, um, man, that is a big, hard left change. What's that? What's the fun saying about that? Because did you tell them that you're, you're going to switch it or do they not Yeah, know? no, they, they said, I said that we're going to switch it. And they're supposed to be actually lending on Damn. another five buildings for me. Um, 
another X. I don't even know. I think it's four and a half mil. That was getting rid of the other stuff? Yeah, that's yeah, getting yeah. rid of my last little bit of private lending. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they're basically apologetic, and they're offering a rate reduction on that for me to maintain that mm-hmm. project with them. My concern being, if they're doing this, when it comes time for me to get a draw, how long is it going to take to get a draw? Like oh, construction I draws. see what you're saying, because the 19, you need to do construction draws. On. Yeah, right, well, this right. new bank I'm flying with, because they've yeah. stepped in, they're super quick, two days, they have me a discussion paper, they say they're going to fund in two weeks. I've already mm-hmm. done a bunch of work with them. I know they turn draws over in literally yeah, yeah. 24 hours, but this this fund is now yeah. doing all this <laughs> on this deal, and now they are saying, oh, we're going to drop a rate on the other five buildings that you're doing, which is great, but... The proof's in the pudding, right? If yeah, deliver, yeah, so I go through this process, then I need to pull a draw on these five buildings, and they take six weeks to do it. Like, where where was this? Why didn't you go with this other lender from the jump? Like this. Uh, well, a slightly you- better rate. The new guys are also technically offering a higher LTV on the construction. So I was doing seventy five, eighty five. So seventy five on the buy, eighty five percent on the construction. Right. And now I'm doing seventy five, seventy five. Right. So. See, this is like for ten points, you know, <laughs> on a renovation budget. But see, here's the thing. Yeah, here's all. Here's all. This is the difference the between Ch- this is the difference between Chandler and I. I have to do all these greasy little things because I don't have as much cash and um, and equity built up in my buildings. I'm I'm new to the right, game. I'm three years right. in, two years in. Like for me, the difference in the ten percent is huge. That's why, like we're saying about doing CMHC takeouts, I literally like I and I'm the kind of person that all right, I'm getting eighty five percent out of camp pulling a million bucks. I'm gonna go buy something that needs a million and a half down. So I need like every little right. ounce. Like I'm counting on my laundry change for closing day. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's tight. I love it. So, and that's why I like if it. I can get 85% on the construction, I'm like, okay, that's going to save me 300K over the next 12 months. That's a big one for me because it's going to allow me to make another move. Right. Right. Because I'm all about the aggressive, just buy, buy, continue yeah. to grow with it. Um, so that's why I always go for these crazy packages. And it's like even anything small, if I can get 80% on the buy versus 75, that's huge. And I've paid a higher rate for that. But it gives me an extra five percent cash, which when I got started, like having an extra sixty k in the bank account was big. Like that was yeah. that was a huge difference on being able to keep moving forward, right? So yeah, it would be nice to get to a point where I don't have to worry about it. Um, but no, like I mean, I just like there's so much value in a good relationship. Yeah, and and you got to try like if they came with something that seemed promising, and and now you know that they didn't quite deliver on it, and yeah, um, so be it, and you'll see if they're still around for the other. Yeah. The third and final option too, and this is something that I've talked to about with a few of my clients and other people doing this, is I had an interest reserve as well. So I don't have to make the monthly payments because, I, like I mentioned before, I think right, right. it just ones, comes out of the total. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been paying these private lenders every month. So that's been coming out of my yeah. pocket, which has been unbelievably stressful and just crushing constantly, right? Like 25K <laughs> a month out of the, out of the bank. Is I, someone the was asking me about that and... I, I was trying to remember what you said, like when you were getting the private money off the books and replacing with conventional money, was the net change $16,000 a month? Yeah. The difference between a conventional mortgage. That wasn't like the old one was 16000 and the new one will be like 8000 so it's a net. No, no. It was like the net. old one was 22000 a month, <laughs> and then the new one was like 5800 oh and, and then, yeah, so, so I was saving money sixteen k a month. So, yeah, no, it, it's insane. Like if, if I sit there and think about the interest, I'll cry. I'll just like... But, but again, I couldn't have done no, what I was yeah. going to do. No one was going to finance, okay, <clears throat> come in, you're 20 years old, and you don't have any money really on the books. Yeah. You don't really have any experience or any buildings. You have like, okay, I have five units. Yeah, and also like you build, it in, you build it into the business model, right? Like, That's and, and so be it, right? <coughs> I ran my numbers, and when I ran my numbers, there was space in the buildings to do it. I would never do it 
just being like, okay, I'm going to make these payments and float it along. I was like, all right, look, I'm buying these at whatever it is this much. And in my budget, I put in the interest and I put the interest way above even what I think it's going to cost and what it should cost. Yeah. Right. And then, okay, it still makes sense. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And so, and there's, there's creative ways to kind of set it up so that it's, you're not in terrible shape. But I recommend to nobody, like, don't do it unless you can float those monthly payments. Well, I, I had one actually where because I was... you can sink yourself really fast. Yeah, I had a similar situation where I was looking at a private loan when I bought that 12 unit initially, and it had some environmental delays that was going to cost us a year. And I was introduced to a private lender who would do the deal. Uh, and I think it was going to cost me about $80,000 for to, to, to do it through them the interest. for the year. Yeah. And um, when I looked at it, I was like, well... The only way I would do this is if I could just write them a check for the eighty thousand dollars up front because I would rather sink that cost and not yeah. have to look about look at it than than try to make those nine thousand dollar monthly installment payments or whatever it would be six thousand yeah. dollars a month uh, installment payments because yeah that's a big check coming every month yeah it was it was super hard so I say to a lot of people I'm like there was nothing special that I did it was just literally a grind to make that payment every month. Yeah, at the end, Neil like, was a highly motivated real estate agent. <laughs> I was highly motivated to make that deal happen because yeah. I was like, at the end of every month, I was literally like, and there was months that I'd pull the money off of credit card and a line of credit to squeak by with the private guy Man. and then keep doing it. And it was, it was, it was probably. I remember tight. those days. Like I talked to young guys about this now at different stages and even just in, in the real estate when, the, when they're doing sales and getting started. Like I had those situations where there'd be given months where I'd be moving Money off of a HELOC yeah. onto a line of credit, yeah, right? And then from a line of credit back to the HELOC. Yeah, man. And then, you know, making a minimum payment on, on the visa and shelling money over. Like, just moving these pieces around the board yeah. to short-term cover these things. Um, you know, it, it's only really been the last few years that I haven't been like, oh, shit, like you know, where, where stuff coming one year. I'm still there. I'm still there. We can do this thing. Real estate agents will, will, uh, appreciate this. Like, um, we can do this thing in, in real estate where you can advance your commissions. Oh yeah. 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 So like you do a deal and it's supposed to close in three months. Well, there are companies out there that will advance you. It's like a, like a payday loan effectively. Yeah. And there was one year, one of them like got busted for something. One of these companies, and they, uh, they were, it was probably an all Nova Scotia or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, and one of their biggest clients was Chandler Halliburton with, with, with Remax. No Nova. way. Because I think one year I paid something like $13,000, maybe more, maybe $18,000 in advancement fees. What, and so you were just using the money so you could buy rentals and stuff? Buy rental properties. Or was yeah. it all for the dune buggies? Uh, no, this is, this was years before the dune buggies. Dune buggies. I Chandler paid advance to buy a Rari. But no, like I, I was doing these advances to, you know, close on, on even at the time, small properties or, or do renovations. A lot of it was actually when I was renovating that 12 unit. So this would be like 2015, 2016, where it was like, crap, like there's another, we had to order three kitchens. That's $15,000. And so I would advance these clothes. Neil is just about to advance every close. Yeah, I'm like, wait a second. But basically it, it's a, it's a private loan on this. And, and, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But that's, that's what you have to do. There, there's not like any miracle. Unless you have a really great access to capital for some reason. Sometimes you're fortunate. It's a family-based yep. thing. Totally. Um, or you've done really well on even a personal home. But I, that's why I recommend to most people, I'm like, if you got 200 buy with like 100 
Okay, because then this way you're comfortable when things go over. That's not what we like, do. Why are you recommending that to people? Because like, if you have 200, buy something that takes 250. You yeah, figure it out. Because my hairline's running away from me. Okay, yeah. so I, I don't <laughs> recommend this this craziness to people unless they're yeah. comfortable to get into that. Like, yeah, you, and you need to know that it's. I don't want to say it's a house of cards, but it could hit you in the face if you're not all over it all the time. Well, there's nothing more motivating than buying something you can't afford. I used to do that almost intentionally. I'd buy something that I couldn't afford, and I'd be like, well, I better go out there and slang some houses what's going to be interesting is a lot of people this year in our industry selling houses man they're just times are good they're flush and if they become accustomed to a lifestyle yeah they may not have that same lifestyle we're already facing that now with the the transaction volume dropping yeah yeah. We're, we're covering a lot of uh, yeah. ground here we, that we weren't even intending to get into uh, i will mention one thing so this property that i'm closing tomorrow eight units and of course i'm terribly stressed out about um, getting vacant possession of the property. Yeah. Um, going through uh, evictions Current for renovations, um, buying tenants out, blah, blah. And the guy called me the other day. He's like, hey, just so you know, uh, one of the tenants up and left yesterday. Didn't tell us, didn't do anything. And I'm like, that is the best news <laughs> that you could have possibly told me. They just left of their own accord. I'm like, I would have given you $3,000 to leave. <laughs> they're going to they're they're hear this. They're going to call you back looking for the They're not listening to this. No. <laughs> they're not listening to this. Um, but yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. So now I can, in theory, start one of the units right away, but more so I can get my contractor there and be like, all right, here's the plan for the units. Yeah, you can plan everything um, out, get your orders in. Yeah, yeah. Prove Because I usually, I, I kind of do one like, yeah. that was kind of like design build like as we go. And then it's like, all right, replicate this over and over again. Order your stuff early. I'm... Yeah, I now have a bunch of units done, and we're just waiting on entry doors, the fire doors, and they were delayed. So they used to come in like two weeks. Now they come in six. Yeah, and I just got an email yesterday, and they're like, "Well, they're still not here from Montreal." These and are like your unit doors. Yeah, yeah, and we don't have a date. Why do you replace those? And it's Christmas time, and I'm like, and so I'm not yeah, getting yeah. doors now until January, and yeah. I have leases for January first. Ooh, yeah. And I'm like, sweet. So you get. Neil's like, I don't rip the doors off until after they move in. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna move in, and we're not gonna have a door for you. Um, I replace everything, yeah. pretty much. I, I don't save uh, anything really, except for a bit of drywall potentially. Yeah. Um, but everything else goes. I just, I want it to be clean, man. Like, I don't like any of the doors to be dented up. Yeah. I want them to be nice and soundproof. They got nice, yeah, pe- yeah. like, their peoples. Again, the, the, the tenant that we get it then appreciates all those things, right? And then we're going to, yeah. and they're more secure. Like, I find a lot of the old doors in these buildings have seen some, seen some shit. Like, oh, yeah, they're, they're beat. Kicked in and they're stuff. kicked yeah, in. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah. you can probably, if you I give suppose. them a good boot, the, like, latches are this big. Yeah. We get all new everything. We get new metal frames around, so they're actual drop-in, drop-in nice, metal okay. frames. So they're, they're proper fire-rated doors. Um, and with cameras and all that, just we're trying to like show that there's a secure building, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I always do the cameras and buzzers. Yeah, sure. cameras and buzzers. Um, okay, but so we're gonna anyways. quickly rip through some news headlines then, just because uh, we we got into more detail there than than expected. Hopefully yeah. that all works out for you. Thank you. Um, so headlines this week. One, let's start here. Hyper local. Um, HRM is building units uh, right now as we speak across the water here. You can almost see it from here. It's a little little further uh, north down there. Um, On Alderney Drive, which is kind of right in the heart of downtown Dartmouth, they're putting up temporary homes, but they're being really transparent about the fact that those are probably going to be there for at least three years. These are like the... uh, temporary school units where they're like oh there's gonna be a temporary classroom and then 30 years later it's you know the school your is kids are going to the school units. and yeah. it's like the same same <laughs> units but um they're hoping to have those actually ready by the end of december obviously it's getting cold out there right now yeah and it's going to house 26 uh people down there right on alderney right by the ferry 
her to downtown Dartmouth. I, which is great. I just really hope that they maintain the space. This is what I find, and I think yeah. this is everyone's gripe, is they're going to drop the units off, and they're like, all right, peace. And it's like, what What do you, like... It, well, needless to say, there was a lot of pushback on the location. I like everything about it. I I, I hate that they're in that location. Yeah. And and that's going to sound like, oh, not in my backyard. It's like, no, no. I'm just saying, like, that is marquee, valuable real estate that attracts, yeah. you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of tourism right there. Yeah. Like, can you have the Canada Day concert... Okay, right, right next there door. while their housing is there. Yeah. Even like the weird um, Halloween, there's they like a haunted a host, host down there. there. Yeah. Can you do that there? Um, the farmer's market takes place down. There are all of these major dollar tourist attractions that happen right there that uh, as a as a taxpayer and like trying to generate money to then pay for some of these things, is that the best use uh, of that particular piece, piece of land? The challenge was, um, because this is HRM initiated and HRM doesn't have a housing mandate, so this is them stepping beyond their traditional mandate because of, of an emergency situation, which is great. Um, they were very limited as to where they could put it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think of all of the main big swaths of land that could be a good spot for this, virtually all of them are either provincial or or federal, right? It's- so it had to be HRM land. Uh, they felt it needed to be paved. Um, I don't exactly know why, but the thing that annoyed me is like, and it had to be zoned correctly. It's like, oh you are the God. people who handled the zoning. So why yeah. did it have to be zoned correctly? I didn't know there was a zoning for temporary housing period, but, um, yeah, it's hard to be convinced that there couldn't have been a better location for it, but, um, that was sort of their, their argument. Um, yeah. I mean, I think of how many like closed down schools there are. Um, and, and vacant properties, but they said they didn't have time to negotiate with the province and they didn't have time to negotiate with private landowners. I understand the latter. It's really frustrating that the provincial government wouldn't have, you know, come to them really aggressively and quickly and been like, hey, here's a vacant school over here. Here's um, yep. some surplus land over there um, and, and pounded that out. I mean, like, look at Shannon Park. Shannon Park would be a great space and they could put about a 1,000 units. Uh, easily, yeah. easily. But um, Shannon Park's a bit of of a flux area, but it's just such an obvious location. Now, why they put it in Alderney is access to transit, access to resources, access to community support, um, and all these things. So it makes sense logistically. You know, is it my favorite location? No. Like, I'm not going to... They could have gone down Pleasant Street, too. I feel like there's some lots on Pleasant, and then you have the hospitals there. There's the mental care facilities. There's a bunch of facilities on Pleasant. I thought about Pleasant Street as well. Woodside Ferry Terminal. Uh, I think the biggest drawback with Pleasant is just proximity to grocery store. That's the one. That's where, like my, tell me where. The, I mean, I guess No Frills is kind of close. To, yeah, that's like yeah, the only thing is No I Frills suppose. is kind of close. But otherwise, I'm like, yeah, I, I see what you mean about, about the Alderney uh, yeah. location being a bit of a questionable one overall. Yeah, yeah. There's been some it's, community pushback. They're going to have uh, another information session. I think it, it's on Monday about it because a lot of residents aren't pumped about it. Um, it's one of those things, though. It's it's an emergency situation. They put it there because they genuinely felt it was the best location. Again, it's it's frustrating for me that the province didn't intervene and say no no like we got this land over here yeah right there's so much provincial land but there's this big pissing match going on between the province and the city right now so yeah they're not on super great terms um so yeah that's what's going on where's the halifax site uh i don't know if they've committed i don't think they've committed to halifax 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 site they said they want to make one bigger in the halifax side yeah Um, that'll be really tricky yeah 36 36 they want it on halifax side but i just don't know where they're doing it Mm -hmm. so but yeah a little bit less local, UConn. Yeah. Did you see that article? I did. And this is something that we've talked about a bit. You've actually brought it up at a meeting we went to 
with some housing authority. Yeah, I think and, we talked about that a little bit in an episode. And I've had this come to me from a few clients as well that are like, how does this work now? And basically what took place in Yukon is a lady rents a unit and she is unable to stay in her unit because her fixed term is ending. Yeah. And there's a rent control in place. Yeah, so their, their rent control in the Yukon is based on inflation. So it's not a fixed number. It's rolling whatever the inflation is at the time. I don't know. Makes more sense. Yep. Um, anyways, so her landlord's saying, look, I need to increase the rent by, let's say, 100 bucks, which is more than what? 200. It was 200. 200 bucks? Yeah. Okay, 200 bucks, which is more than what inflation's allowing for, which would have been probably about 50, 60 bucks? Yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, roughly there. And she is in agreement with this. She's mm-hmm. comfortable to pay the extra 200. But yeah. as per the rules, she is or he is unable to increase her rent because she is this, like the staying tenant. And so, and her fixed term's ending. So technically he needs to boot her out Yeah. to then put in a new tenant at that lease rate. Yeah, which is what's going on. Even in, though they're both in agreement. They're both in agreement. Not only are they both in agreement, they went to the tenancy board and tried to say, what can we do? To make this like work. we want to sign <laughs> a legal agreement that says no you know, the tenant is waiving their right to this and blah, blah, blah. What can we sign? And the tenancy board said effectively, nope, can't do it. Similar to what we faced here. And the reason, yep. like, I know a couple of you guys will probably be like, and this is what I was kind of thinking, was just do it. But mm-hmm. the problem is if you have a problem three months in, yep. you're now technically in breach of contract or breach of the actual rules, and someone's going to have to hold the bag on that, which it's, will likely be the landlord. Oh, 100%. And yeah, it, it, it's the landlord who runs the risk there because yeah. – Say they just have a falling out. Yeah. Right? Like things happen and all of a sudden the tenant doesn't like the landlord as much. Like the landlord does something stupid and now they have a disagreement. Yeah. Well, the tenant would have a claim to say, well, you violated the the new tenancy rules and and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, And there's also going to be people out there that would say, well, $200 is a little bit steep. And and for an existing tenant, I would agree. Like that's a bit of 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 a hit to an existing tenant. Even if you're trying to bring up your rents closer to market, I mean, I know I would never increase an existing tenant by 200 bucks. That's just me personally. Yeah. But if I were trying to get them to market rent, maybe a $100 increase and, and just have yeah. a conversation like, hey, I like having you here. That's we still gotta, outside we gotta, the realm, though. We got to move you upside. Exactly. And this is where when we had that kind of conference um, with these representatives from Legal Aid, IPONS, and um, the Tenancy Board and some from Housing, I asked this question like, well, what if there's a situation – where you have an existing tenant at the end of their fixed term lease and they would like very much to stay and you as a landlord would like very much to stay, can they mutually agree to a $50 increase? And they're like, no, you cannot mutually agree to a $50 increase. It either has to be the max allowable, that's maybe 22 bucks, or you have to vacate them. They have to lose the unit. And while this, this lady was so devastated because she has to sit there and watch the new people come and view her unit yeah. And move into it. And she very much wants to stay. And was willing to pay. Was what they're willing to pay. pay the exact same amount that they're gonna pay. That these new people are paying. So and, and she said she's devastated. She's like, this was I wanted to live here forever. I I feel like I'm having something taken from me that I am agreeing to. Um and this is This, this is, is where the logic and common sense is completely gone. Yeah. And the system makes little sense. But on the flip side, I guess my concern from this comes is that I don't know what they have in San Francisco, mm. but basically, basically you just don't have a fixed term anymore. And yeah. I think that's where it's going to boil into. I don't think this is going to boil into them coming oh, up yeah. with like, yeah. oh, if common sense prevails, we can sign well, a Well, this is what the legal aid person clearly a, wanted. Yeah, right? it's going to be no more fixed terms. You yeah. have to do year to year. 
you yeah. have no options, which is, again, removing another option as a landlord, which I think becomes concerning because it's not just purely about, like, greed and, and making money out of this. As a landlord, you need to have some options. I have clients who sign tenants, and they're not super comfortable, so they do a six-month fixed term. Yep. Like, look, I, I, I want the – I need the ability – to make this change because we're all kind of forgetting. I know right now it's all a big, bad landlord, but there are lots of tenants that can cause issue for people. There's professional tenants that literally oh. make it, make a job out of either destroying yeah. the places, stealing from yeah. the houses, not paying rent. And so if you don't have these things in place, you're really running a lot of risk. And right now we have low vacancy here locally. So it seems like everything's great, but as that starts to tick up, you start to face a lot more of this. So they're going to put all these rules in and kind of take away any strength that a landlord would have or any control a landlord would have and when things pull back, they're going to be facing this issue of, oh, crap, now now I'm dealing with poor quality tenants and yep. they're destroying my units. And what am I supposed to do? And that's where you lead into this thing of people pulling doors off and turning the water off. And turning well, it's the also power like off. it's going to get to the point where and I've had the situation recently where if I know that uh, I'm going to have a lot of difficulty ever getting rid of a tenant, ever raising the rent, ever doing anything with them, if, even if they're a bad actor. Yeah. I would rather sit a unit vacant yep. and give someone a quote unquote chance. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? I, I get a good vibe from this person, you know, like they, they've maybe been through some stuff. Maybe their credit rating's not so good, but they've got a good story and I'd love to give them a chance here. Yeah. No, yeah, not going to happen. Right. Like you just, you just can't run that risk anymore. And what was so frustrating about that meeting with the, the folks there, their answer was like, well, we heard about someone getting a fifth, like a $500 increase. I'm like, well, that's not what I'm talking about. I asked you what a $50 increase that yeah. both sides very much wanted to accept. Yeah. And, you know, want to agree to. And they sort of said, they sort of said you can't do it. The Tennessee board lady just said, it's you not know, the rules. it's not in the rules. And, and I think she was sort of hinting like, I suppose you could do it, but do it your, at your own risk. The legal aid person was basically saying, well, the whole idea of a fixed term lease is offensive to begin with. They should be able to stay there for as long as they want and blah, blah, blah. That was clearly her position. And she was quick to say, and my position doesn't necessarily represent legal label, but you know, this is someone who's paid by tax dollars to advocate in this space and doesn't believe in you know traditional private property laws and fixed terms and, and the legislation that is here. Um, and they kept going to these extremes of like, well, people, they, she was arguing that that woman in the Yukon doesn't actually have a choice, that she had an ultimatum of, well, you either stay here or you pay $200 extra. It's like, no, she has a choice to stay there. Like, it's depending on how you look at it. Is that an ultimatum or is that a free market choice? Yeah. And if she, as an adult, wants to do it, wants to do it so badly that they try to take legal measures through the tenancy board to do it, and then she's actually denied that choice, right? Yeah. Like, it's not the landlord stifling her freedom of choice. It's the legislation stifling her freedom of choice. And um, another point made by the tenancy board, she's like, well, I said, well, like, I really want to keep this tenant um, you know, but I can't do it. You're making it so I can't. And then they said, well, if you really wanted to keep that tenant, you, you would just keep them. Yeah. It's like, well, now you're saying like my choice is either between. I have to pay to keep the tenant. I have to pay to keep the tenant or I need to decide between, well, do I want to do right by that tenant or do I want to do right by my business, which is in turn doing right by my family and the people that I support. Yeah. And I'm sorry, man, I'm going to make the choice for the latter every single time. Yeah. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. Right. This is how I feed my family. I'm not going to feel bad about that choice. I'm just saying it's a shame. And, yeah, and, and, your, and your business is to provide housing. So additionally, like doing right by your business means you're going to provide more housing down the road. 100%. So it's it's not, again, that's a thing that gets forgotten a lot. And the other thing is I've noticed a lot of comments and feedback we've received is that, oh, it's essential. You should, housing is essential. You can't be doing this. Da, 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 da. Food's essential. I don't know if you've been to a superstore recently or any of the grocery stores. they charge money for it. They charge money for it. Yeah. And also all the prices have gone up 
yeah. in the last year by like an average 10% probably. Education is so, a human right, and yet teachers get paid, and universities very much get paid. Um, is, yeah, health is a is a human right. Uh, Doctors take home some of the most money that anyone yeah, on so, salary. So I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, that's a stupid. You know, yeah, argument. but I, I see it a lot. Like a lot yeah, of comments totally. that we get are are that, and so again, and this you're going to provide more eventually more housing. Right now, again, older stock requires increases. Even new stock requires increases, but you're going to do that. And I think the other thing that people forget, and this is something. Uh, I had a chat with with an accountant who did a case study on this, and he was saying that in Toronto they have these same rent rules and they've become this aggressive. And places like San Francisco, same deal. They have these really intensive rent control rules and lease term rules, and all it's led into is a ton of condo construction. Yeah. Because now developers are like, nah, I'm not going to build a rental building because it's going to be hell on earth and it's impossible to make any money. Yeah. So instead I'll do condos. Well, that's not making the rents down, I'll tell you that right now. The condos are going to be even more expensive. You actually have to purchase them, and then they'll be purchased by individual owners who are going to rent them for an even higher rate. And it kind of shows that's how much it costs to run a unit because now these individual owners are going out and buying these units. Yeah. And like, well, the reason the rent has to be so high is because my condo fee is 700 bucks a month. Well, there's no one making money on a condo fee. It's going into a pool to take care of the building. So that, that's a prime example. Of, that's also what a landlord has to do. They, yeah. have, they just pay the whole condo fee for the entire building. Yeah. Right. And so that's all it's going to feed into. If you, there's a chart showing when they implemented the the rent controls in Toronto and condo construction versus apartment construction. And literally the second the rent control went in, it was like an inverse. You had uh, apartment building just drop right off and condo construction just absolutely skyrocket. And on the same note, if you overlay a rent pricing map on there, the rent just goes right up. Yeah. Because now it's individual owners doing fixed term leases and things like that in single units. Right, you can't. You can no longer like you're not. It'll way less control, even honestly. When you have a per, single person owning a building, it's kind of easier to put the rules on them. But when you have 35 people to try and take care of all of that, manage that, not going to happen. Yeah, it's like any time you introduce kind of antagonism into a marketplace, it's just going to make things go more binary. Regardless, that's just kind of the way it works. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's it's good press and media and it's whatever but um so we've gone from what's happening right here in downtown of our city to a little bit outside in yukon which is the other end of the country literally um and then let's go to the hyper real the, the metaverse. metaverse yeah <laughs> um my favorite place yeah it's yeah, been we, all my free time there now we're, we have an episode that i think releases tomorrow where we talk about the highest sale ever in the metaverse which was 2.5 2.43 million 43 million and then uh in that's the already land. out of date yeah. yeah, so we talked about it literally last week, and we were all fired up and thought it was insane that somebody dropped $2.43 million on a piece of land <clears throat> in Decentraland, which is effectively a universe within the metaverse. Um, and then yesterday, I believe it was, or two days ago, that was completely shattered, like destroyed. Yeah. Someone spent $4.3 million in sandbox on a piece of land. Yeah, so sandbox is like another universe. So there's going to be all these universes that you could live and shop and walk through. So Decentraland is is one where that property sold for I think like 2.43 million like you yep. mentioned. And I think that was kind of commercial real estate. <laughs> and then this new one in uh sandbox, yep. uh which sandbox has been around for a little while, but it actually did its official metaverse launch a couple days ago, uh, okay. end of November. Okay, I didn't even know that. And yeah, so they rolled it out. And I think something like 16,000 people or entities have already purchased Yeah, in, in the first three days. The cheapest lot that's available right now is just over, I think it's like 15 grand US or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Dan and I were looking at them. Yeah, but this one that sold was more of like a development plot. 
Exactly. This is and, a development site, and it actually sold to a virtual developer. Yeah, Republic Realm. I Republic think Realm, Republic. exactly, yeah. and they bought it from Atari. I know. Like so I, Atari like went like this, and then they were like down, like presumably now, almost out of business, and now they're back. Now, like, they're, now they're flipping virtual plots. Yeah. So and I just to go back into your thing about the metaverse, I think I had a couple people that I was chatting with about it. To explain it, the metaverse is not one specific like location or universe or anything like that. It's basically like saying Internet 3.0. I think we talked about it a bit last time, but again, to re-emphasize Within the metaverse, you're going to have different, let's say, we'll say different universes, different lands. So, like Decentraland, Sandbox, there's going to be tons of them. Technically, like companies can develop them and make it their space. There's not going to be one set place. It's not like you're going to enter the metaverse and it's that one single space no, that we like, all share. If you view it kind of as the metaverse is an idea, it's effectively your gaming system. Yeah. And you can put various games in there. You can yeah. go over to Sandbox, you can go to Decentraland, you it's can the go universe. to There's a bunch of yeah, planets, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of different basically spaces that you can utilize, right? Um, so yeah, anyways, Republic Realm, the virtual developer bought this parcel from Atari for $4.3 million. Um, they already own 2,500 plots and what they're intending to do with this land is they'll hire, or what they do with, with their land is they hire architects, yep. virtual architects that create and design buildings. Yep. And then they're actually going to hire a virtual developer to then go ahead and build the building. It is eerily similar to what happens mall, in the real world. Commercial yeah. space. Yeah. yeah, it's eerily similar. Exactly. And so same thing. And the developers are buying the biggest parcels. It's already it's already happening like that. So if you picture uh, Sandbox as a province or state, right, because it is finite. This is the mm-hmm. question. We were talking about this a little bit before we started here. It's like, yeah. well, couldn't they just build more? It's like, yeah, but each little universe, each little um, meta space is finite. It's only so big. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so it gets developed and and people buy a big chunk of land over here and say, all right, we got to, you know, rip a virtual road through here and divide up these lots and build these spaces and so on. It's, it's the exact same as what happens in the real world. And we talked about last time, why it's finite. We, we explained how that works, but I kind of botched the NFT description. I'm going to try and do a little bit better job this time. Um, but basically the items or the plots of land are assigned to a token and that token is what then defines it and that's how it's it's managed as okay this is the one because right. let's say it's token one two three that's assigned to the parcel of land then that's what's being traded and that's what defines it as a single item so it can't be replicated because you only have one token of one two three and right. no one else can go out and utilize that to create it so even if you made the exact same parcel of land and it looked the same and all those things it's not assigned to token one two three right so you just can't right and why that's important is because eventually the creators of these spaces the whole idea of it being decentralized is that effectively there's no center government there's no Mm -hmm. like it is a uh it's almost like gosh i don't know i picture it as like some big bacterial or like decentralized uh, autonomous organization i think it's called. well i think of it as like an organism it's a living organism where but it's a sum of all of its parts so there's gonna be no like rule person being like uh, uh, uh you know no that's so-and-so's land over there like it, it has to be they're talking about putting that in though and that's part of what meta, meta aka facebook well facebook's want. gonna be like the big brother version facebook wants yeah. to be the big brother of all yeah. this and that's what yeah. if you guys have watched mark zuckerberg's one hour talk of the metaverse he slides it in there a few times that Everything is great, but there's no governing body mm-hmm. and there's no real rules. And like, Facebook, don't worry, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Yeah. yeah. And as Mark, is, is, as his eyes roll around, he goes, 
we're going to handle this. Facebook wants to be the one that helps to find these things. They've got a great track record, which is super sketchy. The yeah. fact that it's going to be, yeah. And that that's again, they, they were clever. Like they call themselves meta. So people assume the metaverse is Facebook. Like they've yeah. already, they've already done that. Facebook in the meta, like they're not, Facebook is one of the big developers in, in there and in like creating products and things that you can do within the metaverse. But it's like saying, it's like saying Google's the internet. It's like how saying like, Everyone calls it a Kleenex, but Kleenex is a company. Yeah. Right? Like, those are facial tissues, my friend. Yeah, exactly. like, I remember I thought, like, rollerblades were just what you call those things. Like, no, no, that's the company. Like, it's, it's a very smart yeah. ploy because as this becomes more mainstream adopted, people go with, like, the one they know. And Facebook has been collecting all this data for so long. Yeah. Like, they are going to add a metaverse layer to the Facebook platform in the same way mm-hmm. that they linked it to Instagram and mm-hmm. that stories can like, it just kind of becomes it. So all of a sudden, like my mother-in-law is going to be in the metaverse, <laughs> whether she likes it or not. Right. And she'll be wandering around in there. Like, I like we'll just do it. They won't even ask. It'll be like how they put the YouTube album on your cell phone years ago. Like they I won't ask your permission. Facebook will just be like, you're in the metaverse now. I like how over this last week you've become more of a believer of the metaverse. Last week you were like, "Hell no, I'll never put the headset on. You'll never get." Oh, I'm never me. going in there. I'm not going like, in there. See, I'm not putting on the headset. You're putting on the headset. No, no. You're gonna, weird. You're gonna do showings. We talked about this. Oh, I will do showings. In the do you have place. a showing today? You gotta go to Hammond's Plains. Gonna take forty minutes. Yeah. You just slip on the headset. Take you ten minutes. Not even. Yeah. I mean, I think minute. that's more virtual reality and stuff like that. But um, our clock actually isn't running, so I have no idea how we're we're doing for time here. But we, which is ironic, because <laughs> we want to talk about time management today. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so we want to talk a little bit about time management because, again, I think both of us have gotten the question a lot from people like, how in the world do you guys swing all of these things? Um, so I've got it broken out with the kind of, we want to talk about our day-to-days, weekly planning, um, and then, I don't know if you do monthly planning, and then additionally yearly planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so right off the hop, I'll start with day-to-day. I'll explain my day-to-day and just kind of give people a breakdown on it. I think... Oh, I want to know this. M- mine's a little different than I think what a lot of people assume. Everyone's like... On Instagram, it's like, yo, CEO, like you got to be up 4 a.m. on the grind. What time do you butter your avocado toast? (laughs) So no breakfast. That actually saves time. Um, I don't have breakfast either. Yeah, I think it's a time saver. And it's also just (laughs) with this lifestyle, if you're eating that much food, it catches up to you. Um, But no, I I typically start my day at 8. It it ranges. um, But for me, I am anal about getting my eight hours of sleep. So if for some reason I'm at a client event or I had a rough night, I will sleep in until 9 or 10. Um, and it's I find that really, really important because I don't think I can function properly. I know, and I don't, to put that in perspective, I don't use any caffeine or any other supplements. Um, and so, like, I just, because I found that, okay, I, I don't can drink sleep. coffee either. That's weird. I yeah, well, I found if I slept, like, less than 8 hours, I found myself a little groggy, and then I would try and use coffee to supplement and continue through the day. Hmm. But I found that my, I don't know, my productivity was there. But my ability to do a uh, high-level thinking struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my biggest thing. And so I found that actually in university, and it basically became my regiment. Like, I eight hours no matter what. And so that typically works out to me ending my night around midnight and then getting back up around 8. Um, once I'm up, I don't typically get on the road for about an hour or two. Two reasons. I absolutely detest traffic. Like, I sitting in traffic makes me so, so, so mad. So I'll usually start my day where I have a fair number of emails, texts, and phone calls to make. So I'll get those done either sitting in the kitchen, even sometimes I'm sitting in my room, and I'll just be like blasting them off. Um, and then usually I don't set my first appointment, my in-person meeting appointment until 10. So mm-hmm. I'll usually 
leave the house around, I'll leave the house around 9.45 sort of thing uh, to get to that. And then I'll start going through it. I've gotten better in time now. I used to stack a lot of appointments throughout the day. I'm starting to kind of spread them out a little bit more because what was happening when I first started was I'd have appointments from like 9 until 8 p.m. And I'd never touch a computer in that time because I physically couldn't. Right. And then I'd spend from 8 till midnight on paperwork. Right. So now I'm trying to spread things out a little bit more and do a little bit more forward planning. And so I'll usually have a few appointments. I'll try and leave open a lunch break because I wasn't eating lunch for a long time either. I was getting home at 8, not having had any oh, food. Oh, man. That's what kills you about this job, man. Yeah. It kills. Right? Yeah. So and I'm trying to avoid stopping in at yeah. a fast food place or something <laughs> like that. Um, I don't avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So then I, I would get those few appointments uh, done, spend some time. I also want to get to the office. I mean, there's a team at the office. I want to make sure everyone's getting through their stuff. They probably have questions for me so I can get in for at least a couple hours, get a few things done there. Um, and then same thing in the afternoon. Usually I plan a few in the early afternoon and try and cut it off um, pre four. And then if I need to do something again at like six or seven, because again, th- that traffic hour around four, it just makes everything that shouldn't take long, take forever. Like for example, yesterday I had a showing uh, after four thirty or something. And to get from here to there took 40 minutes when it should have only taken me like 12 to 15. And so I spent an extra 30 minutes sitting in traffic, which is super valuable time that I can't really be doing anything. And like, I shouldn't, I mean, texting and driving shouldn't be doing it ends up happening a bit. Cause you're just like, I'm there for so long. The phone's buzzing away. Um, it's, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's just that ends up forcing it. Once I get home, I usually then I'll have obviously my dinner, uh, gym. I try and always get the gym in there. Um, but typically I'll do the work first and then gym last. So I'll do a bit of work, close out whatever I need to close out. And then I'll go to the gym around nine, 10 o'clock hit that. And then I call that my night. Typically, I don't usually do much after that. I'll respond to some text messages, but that time from 10 till midnight, I try to make that my personal time. I wasn't getting that for a long time. And now I'm making a big effort to try and recapture that because what I was realizing is not only do I need that personal time to decompress and relax, it also was the time for me to think about forward thinking where, where I want to grow the businesses. I found if I didn't give myself that time, I got into this relentless cycle of like, okay, now I'm just crushing out deals all day. And I never thought about like, okay, what's the next step, right? Yeah. Like, okay, now I want to go buy a building, but I never yeah, had that opportunity. Yeah, you get stuck in the, in the conveyor right? belt. Even as, like to start this, like I never had the opportunity to spend the time to think about this until I started implementing, okay, I got two hours a day there. That's free, free time for me to think. Well, I think so. like adding all this, like, I mean, in terms of my daily schedule, it, it, it varies also if I'm in like a growth mode or if I'm in a cool down mode because I genuinely yeah. do that throughout the course of the year and just for my own kind of mental health and my energy level. Yeah. Um, anytime I'm in ramp up mode, and I think that's what probably people would be most curious about. When I'm in ramp up mode, I go to waking up early. That's yeah. my go-to. If you want to solve 90% of the problems in your business, wake up earlier and you'll be shocked how much it can improve. So yeah. when I'm trying to ramp up, I kind of shift my morning wake up from, you know, 7.30 with the kids because I got to get them up, do the stuff and get them to school and all that Yeah. Um, to 6.15. And so if I'm in a growth mode, I'll wake up at 6.15. How long are you sleeping for? Um, it's got to be eight hours. I'm, I'm the same way, okay. right? Like so yeah. in bed, 10.15, 10.30. I yeah. fall asleep right away. I'm very fortunate that way. I know some people toss and turn, man, I hit the pillow, I'm done. I'm a tosser. Oh, man. Um, so... When I'm in in growth mode, I'm up at around 6.15 and 
depending on what, what cycle I'm in, whether or not I'm going to the gym or not, whatever I'm doing, I'm starting at 6.15. If it's work-focused, then I just do that at that time for a couple reasons. One, I just find I'm hyper-focused. Mm-hmm. There's no distractions. There's no incoming messages. There's no incoming alerts. There's no kids around. There's nothing on TV. The wife's not up. Like, that is prime time. Like, what you can do in those 45 minutes to an hour are incredible like the difference three hours during the daytime yeah and the beauty of it too is whatever outgoing messages you send and whatever work you do you aren't going to hear back from it for about three to four hours and that's really really important because if you start it at two and a half hours later all the messages you're sending and all the actions you're taking are immediately feeding back to you yeah so you're kind of not or getting lost or getting lost because now people are awake like when they're starting their day you're the first thing at the top of their box yeah yeah but like it's it's once you get stuck in kind of uh getting the feedback on it like you you're not able to progress through all of your work tasks so if i'm having an optimal morning maybe i i get up at 6 15 i hammer through all of my morning stuff in the first hour that takes me to 7 15 and it's amazing how then i'm up and alert and in full you know hyperactivity mode as opposed to like 7:30 stumbling out of bed having to do the whole kid thing and then having to send those messages out at 9:15 and immediately I'm getting inundated with all the responses yep. as opposed to when I'm up early I get all that stuff done and then I have kind of a hour and a half window to get the kids out the door and do that stuff and I'm I'm primed for when that those questions start coming back in so that would be my first tip and people struggle with it but man it'll change your life and you don't have to do it overnight just every two days get up 15 minutes earlier and it's incredible what that'll do to, to change your efficiency I, i'd be i'm gonna say one comment the reason i do my my like i do the same thing i do all those send outs but i do them the night before like that two hours and yeah. you know why i found i couldn't consistently confirm how long i was gonna sleep for right and so where i don't have that consistent sleep then i'm like crap like if i sleep until 10 and nothing's done i'm screwed well this is a big thing for people who toss and turn because if i'm the, the when I'm ramping up, I get super busy, right? That's yeah. the whole point of ramping up. So I, I send those out in the morning. And that makes sure that you're on top of every single person that you're trying to hit up for business. So yeah. I'm, I rely heavily on on the Google kind of workspace, Gmail, the tasks, the calendar, and, yeah. and, and, and all of that. So I use the tasks bar probably more than 99% of, of users. So I have, in, in our case, I've got um, all of my active deals in one task, all of my buyer clients in one task list, all of my sellers in one task list, and then a to-do list. Yeah. And you can move people up and down. You can also delete them when you're completing them. So these are people you need to touch through the day. And you wake up every morning, it's so easy to touch those people. Yeah, Whereas yeah. if you're just starting your day around 9 o'clock and then you start getting in this feedback loop of people asking questions, it's hard to keep up. You go two to three days without touching those people and all of a sudden yeah. that, that warm lead just has turned cold. Um so I work through the the task list and then I, you know, work, look, work through the calendar and I've increasingly relied on that calendar more heavily to I schedule live by calendar. Yeah. I mean, look at the fact that um, you and I are like, oh, well, you don't have any time at all. And yet we carve out two hours here to do this. Yeah. It's because two things. One, we calendar it. And two, I'm a big believer in accountability. So when I'm getting up in the morning there, in addition to sending out to you know, my contacts, my leads, my business. I'm also reaching out to any accountability partners, um, which include staff admin, right? Like mm-hmm. I get my list out to my assistants in the morning so that when they start their day, boom, it's right there. Yeah. I don't have to, like, that's another 15, 
half hour conversation that I need to have some point in my, my morning with each one of them. Yeah. If I don't get it out until nine o'clock by, by getting it out before 7am. Yeah. Like boom, they wake up and they're into their workflow. They know what's on their agenda for the day. Yeah. But I'm huge on accountability, which is why you and I do so well. Like we've gotten more accomplished in this. This is an idea that both of us had independently for how long, right? Like a long time. And just took having one other person um, to to get engaged with it. After that, with with the calendar, you have to treat these appointments with respect. And it took me a long, long, long time to do this because um, I would make these appointments in the calendar and then I'd break them because I'm only accountable to myself. So I'm oh. like, oh, like I, I put something in like, oh, lead prospecting uh, Friday yeah. at 11 a.m. And then someone says, hey, listen, you know, I need to do home inspection Friday at 10. I'm like, I'm there. And so the lead prospecting goes out. You have to um, be accountable to yourself, but the reality is that's very difficult. So by setting up partners, very, very difficult when you're running a business and you have clients that you have to be, that's something that I struggle with is exactly same. I have my things that are personal in there, like lead prospecting or doing things for the business. And then someone says, I have an inspection on that time. And I'm like, I'll be there. Exactly. Um, so it becomes different when there's, you build these accountable relationships in your life, be it to your assistants. Like if, if you book a team meeting, that's other people that are accountable. Like you and I booked this podcast. I'm accountable to you. I'm accountable to the other folks here. Yeah. Like I will be here. Yeah. Even with my wife, because one of the challenges is having a relationship when you're working 60 hours a week. Yeah. And so we have a standing appointment for lunch every Wednesday at noon. And so I don't miss it. Yeah. Right. And then once you can actually start building these things, and it's like having a gym accountability partner. If, if you want to go to the gym three times a week, get an accountability partner. You'll be there uh, three times a week. And you'll push each other to get there earlier. Yep. Right? It's hard to wake up yourself, but man, if someone else is relying on you being there, you will wake up at that time. That's the one main benefit of like a personal trainer. But then I've gotten a little bit better at appointment stacking. It's like, okay, well, if I know that Wednesday from 12 until 2, I've got a standing appointment, right? Even if it's just lunch. Yep. Then I know like, okay, that's a standing appointment also maybe to pick up my kids and do something with them after school. Like it's easy to stretch and stack those appointments once you start committing to the blocking and, and sticking with it. So those are the tools that that I've used to kind of start balancing. And, and it's, it's a constant struggle, which is I why I mentioned you're, like, you're fairly advanced. I think getting started with it, the number one oh thing, if you're God. not using a calendar right now, you oh have God. to be using a calendar. That's like the yeah. most basic level, getting into using a calendar. The yeah. task list, I end up putting a lot of things into my calendar because I don't like having to go through multiple areas. So I'll put a lot of things in my calendar that I just like mark at like the end of the day. Yep. And you can put on little notifications on there and I'll have them in there. This way it's all one place for me to look. I can see what I have to do and it's still within the same window versus I don't like having to jump through apps. Um, for the team, I've now started using monday.com. I remember you mentioned this. I haven't had a chance to look into it, but there's some yeah. great technology out there. You just have to find the one that works for you. I just know I'm always in front of the computer. I'm always logged in at my Gmail. So yeah. the expansion of Gmail to have all these things has been really valuable and yeah. the shareability of sharing it with my assistants. So now my assistants kind of generate a lot of my calendar Yeah. and they input that. And then, so that helps with it also. Um, but last item, and then I agree with what you said, when you're in ramp up mode, increasingly you can't sleep because you're anxious at night. And so when I'm full throttle, um, I'm trying to go to bed at 10 o'clock, 10, 15, but my brain is just going nuts. So what I start to do um, is I spend a half hour at night sending something out. Right yeah. to, to to whomever, and then between it's that and ease then, yourself because you feel yeah. like you've got a few things accomplished, you can be able to relax yeah, a little bit. Yeah, because increasingly I was taking my cell phone and like doing all my stuff from the bed at night, 
and that's not really a good situation. So I would open up the laptop right before bed, hammer through a couple things, restful sleep, and get back at her. That's important. I, I would say the phone is a dangerous one because it ends up being all these. For me, I find the social media and things on there. So I'll get a few emails out. Yep. And then I'm like, ah, I'll take a quick browse before I go to bed. But oh, there's, nothing browse. To browse, there's nothing to browse at 6.15. This yeah. is the best thing. This is why. <laughs> there's no, there's no, no secret to a man no like, any stories. if you were trying a ramp up phase, get up earlier. And it, it's it's unbeatable for, for the difference it makes. I agree. I, again, I'm still a proponent of like, I don't think it's ever required because I've never done it before. And I've had what I've done. I do Same agree. Correct, I, have, I have done the times where I get up early in the morning. And it is a beautiful time to like get a bunch of work done because it's quiet. Um, and you can get ahead of the, get ahead of the day. Again, it, I'm just speaking to the people I would say that struggle with the tossing and turning. It can be a big struggle because if you're if you're sleepy all yeah. day, I find myself like I'll finish something and then I space for like two minutes or like I'm not doing things as fast as I should be. Like when I'm in good place, I can type out an email in a minute. Yeah. Versus if I'm kind of spacey, it might take me three or four minutes to come up with what to say, or I might drop the ball on a few different things. Right? Yeah. So uh, my obsession is with like hitting things perfectly on the head which is not necessarily the best way of doing things. Um, but it's kind of how I've run things up until now. Um, but yeah, so I agree with you on that. But I also like the I like the end of day one because a lot of people aren't doing things at that point either. Like a lot of people are checked out. You're not going to hear back from them. So you can get everything out. And it's the same thing for me. It's when they start their day, you're at the top of their inbox. Yeah. And again, it, it depends on what phase of the business you're in. Like if you're in a hyper growth phase, because like I'm not doing that currently because it's this time of year and I needed a little bit of break from that stuff. And I wanted to pivot my attention to some other things for a short period of time. But I know myself and you know, this industry, you're back yeah. to zero January 1st. Yeah. And so if Can't I get that itself. itch January 5th, you know, I'll come back and I'll be like, I'm up in the morning. Who wants me to the office at at 6 30 right prepare your inbox for 6 a.m emails from chandler totally totally all right we should probably wrap it up in the interest of time unless you got one more parting piece of wisdom no i think we'll do another one where we talk about kind of yearly planning uh that's a really big one that i'm obsessed with is kind of forward planning i find it's easy to let go of that um and when you have objectives and things that you want you really need to start thinking about them and i mean there's lots of ways of doing that whether it be a vision board or other items like that but i think formalizing with actual set targets on what you want to achieve is really really important um i don't necessarily even write it down but i make a mental note of it and i'll think about it constantly and then i remember like okay it's six months into the year and i told myself that by the end of the year i need to be doing this and it doesn't have to be a set again it doesn't have to be a set item but it can be okay i said i was going to stop doing x and so it's just constantly thinking about those things um and then also even like the progression of okay by the time i'm 25 30 like i have my five year and 10 year goals we yeah. touched on it earlier before um but i think i think going over it a little bit more in depth is is really important because i think you do the same where you have certain objectives but i find a struggle for a lot of people is sometimes they get lost and or they seem so far out that it doesn't seem relevant and they don't make it fixed and defined and and yeah if you keep thinking about it and keep forcing it into your head eventually it'll actually start to impact how you operate and it's funny how you kind of manifest these things by doing that yeah and it's a perfect time to look at all that stuff the time of year Everyone's yeah. thinking about January 1st, and if you want 2022 to Things be a are a little year. cooler right now, too. Likely have some free time, time off. Yeah. So you can spend some time planning your next year and maybe even a little further into the future. But look at this. We've been doing this for, what, six months now? Not even. Not even? Six months? But yeah, four. And one of our goals was to come into a better space like this and kind of yeah. step things up a little bit. So hope there's going to be a lot of exciting things now for the Master Keys team. And Yeah. Let us know what you think of the uh, the new stuff, the new quality. Yeah, if it yeah. sounds better and we look better. Uh, <laughs> Phil Castle looks great. Um, sounds better, maybe. Yeah, sounds better for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, no, thanks for listening. And 
follow, like, share, all that good stuff, and we will see you next week. Yeah. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.